0: My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. I do. <laughs> You're gonna do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. not Fourth of July. So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch with me, Ashley, the raspy dispatcher. Um, You know, we always record these episodes before we drop them. Um, And right now in the Bay, it is like snowing. Hail is happening. um, California is not okay. Check on your friends in California. We are not built for this we do not like snow, let alone rain, so it's definitely a weird time um, in California at this very moment of recording, Uh, but today I am joined by former dispatcher Wendy. She spent seven years under the headset, and that is also where she met her partner, and we're going to dive into her journey, including discussing something we need to definitely talk about more, um, so we could support those who support those who are behind the headset, who are in these first responder roles. That is being the partner of someone who is in this line of work from being a dispatcher to being an officer, firefighter, paramedic. The list goes on. So I'm gonna bring Wendy on to join us.
1: Hi, Wendy. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay.
0: Like I was said in the intro when we talked a little bit before, the weather's weird. <laughs> the weather is weird
1: right now. <laughs> It is. I'm counting the days until spring, and even more until summer, because I am not built for cold weather.
0: <laughs> and I'm on day shift now, right now during this uh, the slot. So I get to work at like four or five a.m. and I'm like, I'm trying to sprint run, but I'm still sleeping, and it's cold, and he had a park far, and like it's it's a mess right now. <laughs> We're just trying um, to make it. <laughs>
1: I remember those days well when it was so cold and just trying to get into work. And then you didn't know if you were going to get relieved on time because of, you know, what weather comes down and whether or not people were going to be able to get into the center. So, yeah, it can be very hectic.
0: Yeah, I just try to wave down a unit like, can I get a ride? I'm not
1: it's cold out here. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so tell us a little bit about how you got into public safety. Where did your journey start? My journey started actually when I was still in high school, um, which is is very different to a lot of people's. Um, I turned 18 in March and I already had the job lined up. So I started training on the weekends while I was still in high school and then was going to school Monday through Friday and working another part-time job in the evenings to be able to get out of school early. Um, So my last year of high school was definitely different from a lot of people's but then it allowed me to be um very oriented to the field by the time I graduated in June and I was able to start um being somewhat turned loose you know with short staffing mm-hmm. issues um there were some days that I worked by myself very early on um well not completely by myself we we worked two to a shift but um I was essentially turned loose very quickly mm-hmm. um And the reason I got it lined up so easily is I had um, an uncle who was a volunteer firefighter in the area. And so he knew that they were hiring. He knew that I was looking for something when I graduated and, you know, just sort of planted that seed of you should go to the dispatch center and and see what it's all about. And one thing just led to another and I fell into it.
0: Yeah, that's such an awesome experience, I would imagine, especially in high school, like, you know, listening to calls or even just going to training on weekends. Like, I think the great thing about this job, one one of the great things about this job is it is entry level, meaning you don't need to go to college, you know, you can come straight out of high school and most dispatch centers and get on the job training and get into a career with some stability and some security. And so the fact that you were you know, going to school and it on the weekend. Like, I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it, it was very interesting. And that's mainly why I drifted towards it. I, college was not an option for me at the time, um, mostly because of financial reasons. And I, I really wasn't in a place where I wanted to move far away from home. Um, so it, it was, you know, that job that offered the stability and, and good pay Um you know, for an, an 18 year old that didn't have any other strings attached mm-hmm. um, at the time and was like, you know, 10 minutes from home and in the community that I grew up in. So those were all good selling points for me.
0: Yeah, for sure. So what was it like in the beginning for you? Like graduate walking across the stage, into your comm center, taking, you know, life changing calls. How did that look for you as an 18 year old?
1: You know, I had no idea what I was really getting into. I had heard um, my uncle's pager going off when, you know, he would be at family events or dinners. And so I I knew that he was responding to emergency type calls. But I don't think at that young age it really clicked with me what that looked like and what that experience would be for me coming into it. Um, So I say I was very naive in the beginning. Um, Of course, it was exciting. It was like an adrenaline rush, you know. Um, stepping into a role where you're literally holding people's lives in your hands, you know, learning how to do um, EMD instructions for different types of medical emergencies, um, you know, putting helicopters on standby, um, having these really large incidents. Cause I I had a lot of really um, bad calls within the first couple of years that I was on the job Mm -hmm. Um, calls that I, I didn't know at the time were going to affect me the way that they did. Hmm. Um, So it it was a lot that just kind of came at me at once. And, you know, I was very young and able to roll with the punches and and pretty resilient there for a while um, of just being able to to go with the flow and and figure it out. We were short staffed. So I was working a lot of days, even as a part-timer, Um, I was working a lot more than some of the full-time staff even Mm -hmm. uh, depending on the week and during the summer when people wanted to take all their vacations and stuff. Um, So, yeah, like I said, I rolled with it um, and just kind of kept going until I got to a point where I couldn't. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that for me was about four years in.
0: Mm -hmm. And, And do you think that when we look at the state of, you know, first responders and how much of the culture has been shifting to acknowledging the fact that we're taking tough calls we're responding to hard things departments are more peer support you know Mm -hmm. we're more acknowledging like this is the thing we need to talk about it it's a reality Mm -hmm. do you think at the time that you started your job at 18 that that was a conversation that was brewing or was it still very much we're just going to sweep that under the rug and keep pushing forward
1: I think it was not necessarily swept under under the rug, but I was um, in a very rural community, you know, limited resources in a lot of ways. Um, at the time, we were still mostly volunteer for fire and EMS. Um, since then, we have now have paid EMS staff, but our fire departments are still volunteer. Um, so all of those things played a factor in just not having the resources available to have those conversations was part of the problem um and then you know a lot of people hadn't stayed in the role very long um the first supervisor that I did have she is actually still in that center today she's she's so close to retiring like she's dabbling <laughs> with the idea um thinking about it you know 100 <laughs> she's got like 30 some years at this point so um mm with all the changes that are coming down and especially with the, you know, the video calls and stuff now that are coming Mm -hmm. in, um, she's starting to really think it's time for her to go. But other than that, you know, a lot of people don't tend to stay in the job long enough. Um, Mm -hmm. Even in such a small center, you know, I've I've seen a lot of people pass through and only stay like a year or two um, Mm -hmm. and then move on to other things. So I don't think there was enough, um, of a constant to have those conversations, either. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't see some of that at the time when I was really in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has been, you know, several years since I got away from the field and have just been a spouse um, of someone who's still in it. I've been able to reflect and really um, think about these things more. And I've done some research on my own as part of a master's degree program. I'm now also a certified peer recovery specialist and I have a trained certified peer recovery specialist in the state of Virginia. Um, So I've had a lot of other experiences now that have made me really look at it differently than I did then. And I think we always had the potential to talk about it. We just didn't make the time for it is maybe the best way to put it. Um, Mm -hmm. It just wasn't a priority. But now that, you know, I've been through everything that I have, um, I'm definitely in a spot where I'm wanting to give back and, you know, like you were talking about support those that are still in the role. And this is kind of the way that I can do it at this point. Cause I know I can't go back and sit under that headset again. Um, mm-hmm. That just would not be a good experience for me or good for anyone that's calling in for help. Um, but I need mm-hmm. to figure out ways that I can give back and contribute to the field. And this is the way that I can do it by advocating for them.
0: And I think that is amazing. And I think it's something that, um, a lot of folks are probably struggling with when they're trying to figure out, like, I'm at the end of my career for whatever reason or capacity that they're they're wanting to step out of the role is kind of like what comes next and how can I still dip my toe in this thing that I love doing um, while still protecting myself in the process. Um, and I think one of the one of the great things about this line of work is that. We, we're all bringing a piece of ourselves to the job, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are things that we do in our personal life that can have positive impacts on the community that is still answering the calls. And for you, you know, you took your personal experience and bringing it back and having these conversations and being a resource mm-hmm. for folks who are still in this line of work. And you, you met your husband mm-hmm. um, doing this job Uh, You want to tell us a little bit about that and how you guys met and, you know, how you guys make it work, both uh, having that experience.
1: Yeah, it it was really funny how we met. Um, He was the last one of the staff that I I actually got to meet. Mm -hmm. Um, And we didn't work together a lot in the very beginning. I didn't train directly with him. Um, I trained with the other lady that I was talking about who had been there for quite a few years. Um, between her and the other supervisor and then got passed around um, to kind of watch some of the others who had had been there because they really didn't have a person dedicated to training. So it was just kind of whoever they could stick you with at the time, which I thought was great. It was good learning from lots of different people and seeing how different people handled things. And then that way I could put my spin on it. Um, But I didn't get that experience so much with him. Um, But I didn't, I met, I met him. He worked mostly night shift and, um, We just sort of clicked from the beginning. We became really good friends, I would say, first. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when we did transition into that dating phase, it happened very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, I started dating him and moved in with him within, like, two weeks of...
0: um, That sounds (laughs) rational to me.
1: (laughs) Um, To help with the timeline, I started there in March and by the time that we had actually, you know, got to meet and started hanging out and and all of this happened was around probably June, July. And Mm -hmm. so within that June and July, about about two weeks um, of hanging out, I'm moving into his house. (laughs) 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 He he was coming off of his shifts and I would be bringing different stuff to the house every day. And he still laughs about that. He's like, you know, you kind of moved me out of my own room, Um, (laughs) moved all of my stuff in. And, um, we decided then within a, another couple of months, uh, to get married. Uh, oh, so he wow. proposed to me in October of that oh, year. Uh, and then we, we got married, um, t- a year later. Yeah. Oh, Cause wow. we bought a house. So th- things were very, very, like I said, very quick between us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of knew that we were meant to be together and, mm-hmm we had to of course figure out schedules of you know mm. how are we both going to work for the same agency and and still have a life and all that good stuff yeah um, so for the first probably year year and a half we were both on night shift but opposite night shifts mm. okay um, so mm. i was working with another girl and ironically her boyfriend at the time was one of the road deputies um mm. So he also worked opposite of her, but we had this kind of group going where, um, when we worked our night shift, the two of them, the two boyfriends, would come hang out with us, um, <laughs> and then they would work the opposite shift. And we didn't—I don't think we really went and hung out with them as much. But they tended to always come and hang out on our shift in the center. Just <laughs> kind of extra bodies, you know. They would come and have uh, a late dinner with us and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So that was, that was a really fun experience. Um, and then we got to a point where, you know, it seemed like we were always living because he was there on my shifts. It seemed like we were always living at the dispatch center and we didn't have a lot of time outside of it. Um,
0: Supervisors like, why do you guys keep bringing your stuff and moving them out of my drawers? Like we're living here. So we might as well get comfortable.
1: Yeah. We, we were kind of advocating and it was a touchy situation being in a small center, but we advocated for us to be able to work the same shift. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was right before our wedding. Um, So they actually let us try it because neither mm-hmm. one of us were supervisors, so we were peers. Um, so they let us try being dispatch partners, and we actually planned our wedding on night shift in the downtime. <laughs> so that that worked out pretty yeah. well. And then a lot of people thought, you know, neither one of us were ever going to leave um, that particular job because, you know, we had – it worked out where we were on the same shift, and then we had all of our time off together. So they're like, you know, you guys have the perfect gig going here. And I'm like, yeah. well – because <laughs> it it's ups and downs. Like you're seeing mm-hmm. a lot more of the positive cause you're not the one actually in it. Wow. Um, but it also meant that we took work home with us. Mm-hmm. Um, it meant that if I had a bad call, he had a bad call cause he was on shift with me mm-hmm. and that's essentially what ended up happening. We worked, um, I-, I talked about some really bad calls happening early on. We worked three really bad calls together. Mm-hmm. Um, including one where a child died in a fire Mm. and that one was kind of my breaking point. I knew the family Mm. very well. I had grown up, um, in that same community. So I I knew them. Um, when I answered the phone that night, you know, the voice was familiar and, and things just really started falling apart from there. We did a debriefing, um, bought in a, a CISM team. And I remember going to the parking lot of where that debriefing was held and I couldn't even get out of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I sat there and I was like, you know, it's nice that they're providing this for us. I just can't go in. Like no. it, it's just too much, too close to home, to everything. Um, so that was really when I started thinking about making a change and getting out of the field. Um, I ended up not, getting out of the field right away, though, I switched agencies to the Park Service mm-hmm. and did that for another year before I actually ended up leaving.
0: Okay. So I, I think that something to touch on in, in your story is that the, the aspect of dispatching in small smaller towns or even just towns you grew up in, the likelihood or just living where you work, right? So the likelihood of you taking a call from someone you know or someone who's familiar to or even the barista at your Starbucks, you know, like these people you personally see daily in your city or people you've grown up with, family, things like that, are calling for emergency services and you're just at work, you know, and you just have to take the call. And I don't know if a lot of um, regular folks, citizens realize that, we are humans as well. And we have relationships with our community and that does happen. We do sometimes have to take phone calls with people we care about, people we know, or people we have this weird familiarity with because of where we work and where we live. Um, And you just have to, you know, get through it and, or wait till you're at a safe place to pass it off because You can't just put someone on hold during a crisis, right?
1: Exactly. Especially when you're working in small centers where um, that first one I was at mostly was two to a shift. Mm -hmm. Um, Occasionally you would have a third, but it was normally just the two. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to the park service, um, that was one person to a shift except during like really busy months. Uh, like in October, you know, it's tour season, the leaves are changing. So they tried to have more than one person on during those days. Uh, but the rest of the time it was a one person gig. So yeah. yeah, it was all on you.
0: Exactly. And then I would imagine like when I take a cuff call, you know, my, my partner isn't in our line of work at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and I do do my best. Like I think most of us try to do <laughs> to leave our stuff at at work, but when i come home and kind of trauma dump with my partner they don't have that same trauma baggage that i'm dumping into their pot right mm-hmm. so i i can't imagine how difficult it must have been on those tough calls for you guys that you're essentially partnering right so mm-hmm. you're partnering during this call someone's taking it someone's starting ambulance you know you guys are tag teaming 911 calls i'm sure um, and then the dust settles and it's kind of like, well, now this is this is my person who I'm going to come home and I'm going to trauma dump mm-hmm. with. But you guys have already gone through it together. Like, what did that look like? How did that feel? How did you guys work through that together? Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to Prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic and it has a lot of benefits. And I I think it's been super beneficial to our relationship in a lot of ways. Um, But the negative is that, you know, we were always together for it and we could never get away from it. Mm -hmm. Um, On the positive side, though, we knew exactly what each other had been through because Mm -hmm. we've been in that exact same spot. And for me, when I started struggling and I started having a lot of um, stomach issues and just a lot of physical symptoms and things going on. And and I didn't know if I was going to be able to continue working or there were days where I didn't want to go into work. Mm -hmm. It was super helpful having that partner who had been through those calls and also who had my back in that way Mm -hmm. that he was able to protect me. Um, and you know, he was okay. If I went in and laid on the floor for a little while and we weren't super busy, he could handle the majority of the calls. And then if we got super busy, I could, you know, force myself to jump up and help him. But Mm -hmm. he did protect me and help me hide a lot of the, the physical stuff that I had going on while I was trying to figure out, you know, what exactly had happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was beneficial in that way. But then when you think about the other side of it, I didn't seek outside help Mm -hmm. um, as soon as I should have. And so that's a big part of my story that I always like to share. Mm -hmm. Um, While it was good to have that connection with him, and I think it made our relationship and our bond even stronger um, we we're actually celebrating 15 our 15 year wedding anniversary.
0: Oh my gosh. Congratulations.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. so I don't think we would have made it this long, you know, without mm-hmm. some of that bonding and those experiences that we had early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized throughout my journey and, and as I've transitioned into working in other fields and got into the peer support piece and everything that I needed outside help that, like extra support from a counselor has been helpful um, support groups. Um, some of even the trainings that I've been through for peer support and the people I've met through them, I needed all of those additional things um, to balance it out and not always be putting all of that on just him
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it, it it is a lot for one person and he has handled it so, so well. He is such Mm -hmm. a trooper and he's been great about it and he's handled his own stuff, his own baggage very well. Um, Things just didn't affect him as much as they did me because he came into the field with more of a awareness of what he was really getting into. He was a volunteer firefighter and EMT before stepping foot in the dispatch center. Mm -hmm. So I think he had more of an awareness of both sides of the radio where I didn't. Mm so, yeah, I, I encourage people to, you know, not always just dump on, you know, your mm-hmm. one partner or, or one particular person, but kind of spread it out and have a larger support system. And of course, you don't want to be re-traumatizing people either. And mm-hmm. I, I did this a little bit with my mom. Um, she was the one other person that was my phone call always when I was going through the really bad stuff. Yeah. And, I realized over time that I probably dumped a lot of stuff on Mm -hmm. her that has maybe traumatized her in some ways. Mm -hmm. So by having the counselor and some of the other professionals involved that I can that are trained to handle that and I can share that kind of information with is better than throwing that to like a family member that really doesn't need or deserve to have that completely dumped on them.
0: Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, I definitely think that, like I said earlier, we're shifting um, in first responder culture mm-hmm. to recognizing the realities of PTSD, the traumas, you know, compassion fatigue, all these things that we not, not just in dispatch experience, but everyone who's in any type of role in this line of work. Um, and the reality is like, we we all need a therapist. <laughs> like like yes. it's not it's not a it's not a bad word. It's totally okay to just need someone to talk to because yes. there are times that I know my partner just doesn't get it, nor do I want her to have <laughs> to get it. You know, like if there are some days that I've said on here before is like I come home I'm like. I don't want to talk today. I don't want to, like, I just want to watch TV and not have to problem solve or (laughs) care about anyone else's day. Like I'm tapped out. And, you know, like we, we have built that relationship where we can like give each other that grace. Um, But it's so true that we just all, sometimes you just need someone else to Mm -hmm. listen and get it. And it's not a negative thing or um vulnerable or a weakness that you, you have that other outside help.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest piece of it And early on. I was, that's what I was afraid of. That's why I hid it and why, you know, I, I had him kind of protecting me and we didn't share it outside of our relationship because I didn't know how it was going to be perceived. I thought it could potentially get me fired from the job, um, mm-hmm. you know, or people would judge and be like, well, you can't do this anymore because you're struggling on that level. I was very, very afraid of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm realizing, you know, okay. I, I should have um, tried to be more aware of what types of help I could have reached out for. And maybe there were things like warm lines, which I didn't even know what a warm line was back then. Yeah, what What is that? Tell us a little more about it. So a warm line is um, not exactly like a crisis line, like 988 is a crisis line. Mm -hmm. And you're in a a higher state where you need more direct levels of care um, and connected to resources on that higher level. But a warm line is kind of like a step down in Virginia, we have one that's run by a peer-run organization. Mm-hmm. So everyone that answers that phone is a, a peer recovery specialist. They've been through that training, the same training that I have and that I also teach the curriculum for. Um, and they're just basically there to actively listen to what's going on, help you brainstorm Um, They're not trained counselors or therapists by any means, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're a a peer that has been through some type of lived experience with mental health, substance abuse, trauma, um, eating disorders, a variety of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're, going to help connect you with resources and brainstorm some options, but not like solve the problem for you. It's, it's just kind of like a sounding board. Um, It's completely anonymous. If you want it to be, Mm -hmm. you don't have to tell them your name, your location, which is really awesome because sometimes people don't want those things documented. I know I, I certainly didn't Mm -hmm. when I was in the heat of of some of this stuff. So um, it's very helpful just to kind of get it off your chest and, and share it with somebody in that way. And then just be able to hang up the phone and go back to your life. If that's all you're needing is a sounding board kind of thing.
0: Yeah, no, I've never heard of a warm line either. I think often like it, it, when we're talking about nine we're like emergency. We're in the middle of the emergency. What's the resource? And we're not, we're, we're reactive, right? We're not really preventative in our line of work. Um, And so the idea that we do have these resources out there for me kind of gets missed because usually when I'm answering a call, we're in the middle of the emergency or they may very well be in this warm line Avenue, but I'm more like, you're calling 911. You're in the emergency. How can I help you in an emergency situation? So yeah, having access and knowledge of these more, Preventative resources, I think, is amazing for for us and for citizens.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I advocate more for um you know public safety professionals to use them um, mm-hmm. more so than you know people that are calling nine one one because I I think it's a good resource um, for someone in this line of work you know mm-hmm. that doesn't know what type of help they really want to get yet or mm-hmm. or what. Um, you know, they're afraid of having something documented through work, like I was, that kind of thing. Um, I think it's a great resource. Um, and I wish that there was more of them specific, you know, for this type of field. Um, of mm-hmm. course, there's Safe Call Now, which is more of a, a crisis type line for mm-hmm. all first responders, um, but they can kind of act as a warm line as well. They mm-hmm. promote themselves kind of both ways. Um, And then another one that's recently started in Virginia is called Hero. And that one is a a Virginia specific one for first responders. That's a warm line. Um, So they're becoming a little bit more popular and they're coming out of this kind of peer space. Yeah. um, It's really good to see. Yeah. No, definitely. For a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously.
0: And so you've gotten it. You've, you've gotten out of dispatch, you know, you made the exit, Um, and you've been diving into like peer support and things of that nature. How did you shift to that journey? You know, what, what did that pivot look like?
1: Oh, that, that pivot was very chaotic and very drawn out, which is why I'm laughing. Um, It was like
0: a stutter step, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm still, there are days where I'm still kind of figuring it out and I don't really know what's next. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've gotten to a point where I'm certainly more stable with it now than what I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first got out of public safety back in 2012, mm-hmm. um, I spent quite a few years jumping around from job to job. And I didn't even stay a year in a lot of jobs. I stayed a couple of months
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and then would move on to something else. And meanwhile, I was doing um, college classes online kind of on the back burner, seeing where that would go. Um, Mm -hmm. So I ended up with a lot of degrees um, because that was kind of like the one constant for a couple of years. So I ended up with two associates degrees, two bachelor's degrees, two master's and a handful of other graduate. (laughs) (laughs) So at least that was a positive. I got my education.
0: Yeah, good for you.
1: I joke that some people, you know, put a lot of money into different forms of recovery. Mine was in student loans to get <laughs> education out of it, and now I'm figuring out how to pay back the student loans.
0: I hear that. We in the same boat. My little two <laughs> degrees. I feel it. <laughs>
1: yeah. So it it has its um its downsides, but on on the benefit side, it was good to have the different exposure to some different fields. Um, I did a lot of research for especially the first master's, I focused my thesis on dispatchers and PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that ultimately led to me finally taking the leap and, and getting help from a professional um, psychiatrist and getting diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So that's where that came in. Um, mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do for work. Um, Mm -hmm. once I've went through all of these changes and there's not a lot of opportunities for someone with two masters really in my hometown, especially not in criminal justice and library science Mm -hmm. are the two that I have. Um, so I started just kind of dabbling around with, you know, what could commutes look like. I was commuting into Northern Virginia for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, hour and a half, two hour commutes one way. Um, Those are not always ideal either, but I did them till I I kind of figured some stuff out, worked in public libraries for a while. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity for a peer recovery specialist training class came up while I was in the public library field. Mm -hmm. And so on a whim, I applied to it. And it was a new instructor. So she was offering um, the class for free. She had to do her first class for free. Mm -hmm. And I got accepted into it. So I took two weeks off from work and took her class. And it was phenomenal. It opened my eyes to this whole new field of, of peer recovery and peer support. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. I think I could transition from libraries to nonprofits because a lot of peer-run organizations are nonprofits. So that's kind of where my brain was at. I was making that pivot and then COVID hit.
0: <laughs> ah, good old COVID. What's a yeah. hard
1: stop to everybody? <laughs> Just... Well, it it did. It put a hard stop to a lot of things, but actually it helped me out with the peer recovery stuff because okay. Virginia did a, um, a COVID warm line oh. project. And so yeah. I was able to, work on the COVID warm line project and get my internship hours to finish up my peer support training, um, and test and and get completely certified. And then I was able to walk into a position, um, doing kind of boots on the ground peer support with a nonprofit, the same one that my trainer of the class worked for. Very cool. Um, So that's where that kind of began. Um, but the way that they were doing peer support at that organization, um, depended on different grants and projects they had going on. And their specific focus was on um, individuals experiencing homelessness mm-hmm. and substance abuse, mm-hmm. which neither one are really in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, my story is more from the public safety side and the trauma and the mental health piece on that side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, I, I did that for a while, but I kind of kept looking and, and trying to figure out, you know, what could really get me back in the direction working with individuals that I really had a passion for. Mm-hmm. Um, and really there's not a lot out there that is specific to public safety and peer support. It's, it's a very yeah. new area. So mm-hmm. it's kind of become more of my pet project volunteering on the side, um, doing a lot of the advocacy work and I've presented a lot of conferences and do presentations just on my story um, and how you know I've made different transitions and, and where I'm at now. I I talk a lot about different evidence-based practices that I've utilized over the years because that's a big piece of it, including the counseling um, and things like tapping is a new thing that I'm getting Mm -hmm. into. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: So, yeah, that's kind of the pet project. Um, But I ended up professionally switching um, and working for DARS, the Department of Aging and Rehabilitative Services, for a while. which gave me a a little bit more understanding of people with disabilities and, you know, mental health and and trauma can play into disabilities um, and learning how to advocate for myself in those arenas. And, you know, as far as like requesting accommodations and and different things like that in the professional world. So I've gained Mm -hmm. a lot of knowledge for my own journey, but then things that I can share with other people too that can be super helpful um and then my my latest gig like i told you i don't stay places a long time but
0: hey man um, we only got one life to live right i say
1: around learn what you can and move on yeah i'm just you know i'm always trying to better myself and Mm -hmm. you know trying to get closer to home or you know into things that really drive my passions or will keep me engaged um Mm -hmm. so you know i made a transition again and now i'm working with the department of corrections um, mm-hmm. In an employee health and wellness role, which honestly mm-hmm. ties all of this stuff together, because wow. it's um, it's focused on the staff, not the inmates. Mm-hmm. But it's staff focused employee health and wellness. Um, you know, trying to create programs and processes and things that will make it um, better for them in the work environments that they're experiencing. And there's a lot of overlap with, especially in the the correctional facilities. You know, they're working twenty four seven. They're not necessarily in a box like we were as dispatchers, but they're mm-hmm. on a post, which is, yeah. you know, they can't leave their post until they're relieved.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: it's a lot mm-hmm. of overlap in those ways. Um, so I really feel like I'm starting to get to the point where a lot of it's coming full circle and making mm-hmm. sense of why I've had all of these experiences and they've kind of led me to this place.
0: Totally. And so mm-hmm. I always find it really interesting, like um, talking to folks, especially have uh, moved on from dispatch and kind of the jobs um, that they're stumbling in and they're finding and like um, that they're utilizing their experience in dispatch um, Mm -hmm. along with all the other experience they've had and putting it back into now for you uh, corrections, which, Mm -hmm. how did you like find that job? How did you stumble upon it? Um, Because I think one thing that a lot of folks when they're thinking about exiting is like, where do I even begin to look for something that fits, but isn't the same and where, where my experience is going to translate, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, so ironically, the first dispatch role that I was in, although it wasn't a state position, um, they participated in the state uh, retirement system and some mm-hmm. of the state benefits. Mm-hmm. So I had some time in what they in Virginia call state service. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I, I I've toggled back and forth between nonprofits and state jobs mm-hmm. quite a bit. That's mostly where I'm jumping back and forth between. And ultimately um, what I've discovered is with the state jobs, um, the benefits and the stability tends to be a little bit better. And, and usually the pay is a little bit better than what I find in the nonprofit world. Although the nonprofit stuff really interests me. And that's where a lot of the peer support is. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't have that same, level of what the state jobs can offer me. Mm -hmm. Um, so then the position I talked about with DARS, that was a a state position. So I Mm -hmm. added some more time to my state service, um, through that position. And then this one is also that state kind of job. So it was advertised on the same website. Um, and I check that website pretty frequently just to kind of see what's out there and what's coming up. Right. Um, and I have a lot of connections. I've, I've done a lot of networking. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Yes. So I tend to see when, when people are posting that they have positions coming up or they've just opened or maybe they're getting ready to close and they're trying to get some more applications. in. I see a lot of those through my networking mm-hmm. feeds.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so that's where I, I found it. And it's actually um, a, a brand new team that the department has put together for this year. Um, they saw the need because being the largest out of all the state departments, um, having the most employees, they saw the need to have a team solely dedicated to this with some of the issues that they're experiencing with um, you know, retention and, and burnout and mm-hmm. uh, being short staffed and employees are working a lot of overtime. They just really wanted to put some energy and focus into that and so our team was created last year in june um the state like statewide director um was hired in june with a program assistant and then she advocated for regional coordinators to Mm -hmm. to be hired and i was selected as one of those and came on in november so i'm only about four months into this position Mm -hmm. you know it's still that new and, and we're still trying to figure out exactly what the program looks like and kind of Mm -hmm. building it from the ground up, which is exciting. Very Um, exciting. Yeah. It's cool to be a part of it and kind of see what people are wanting, getting that feedback early on and kind of building it and evolving it to what's really going to be beneficial.
0: Yeah. And I would imagine that, you know, even like we're coming on that back end of like COVID and Mm -hmm. I would imagine that there was a lot of like, um, burnout associated, especially in the jails with with yeah. COVID and having to work through it and having to quarantine the units and, you know, uh, the units not being able to have visitors and just a lot of things that I would imagine inside uh, corrections had to experience and deal with with this COVID pandemic um, that is probably kind of coming to the surface now for the folks who had to be boots on the ground in there.
1: Yeah, and, and I think all of that has played a role in, in the retention piece. Um, and like I talked about, even with the state benefits being what they are, um, sometimes it's still not enough to keep people, especially you know if they're working lots of overtime and, and they're mm-hmm. just kind of maxed out on what they can handle. Sometimes you know it's just not enough to know you've got the certain levels of retirement or the health insurance, and, and people are, are looking for that better work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's what our team is going to be super involved in. I think is trying to to change that narrative and, and getting them back to a place where they feel like they can have a life and, and they don't have to feel so burnt out. And so we're trying to model that, um, you know, from the top down. But it's going to be a slow process, like with culture change in, in any field and especially culture yeah. change with anything public safety related. It just takes a lot of time relationship building, you know, getting employees to trust and, Mm -hmm. and giving that honest feedback that we need to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I, I don't expect it to change overnight, but I'm excited to be a part of it um, and kind of see over several years where it can go.
0: Yeah. And
1: I think one of the,
0: the realities when we talk about like
1: peer support and,
0: you know, counseling and, Things like that is if you're out there and you're seeking it, it, everything isn't going to be the same fit for everyone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you are someone who is like, you know, I tried therapy, I hated it. Why do people do that? Go back, try again. It might not have been a good fit. There's tons of different types of therapy, Mm -hmm. uh, different types of doctors, peer support group. There's different types of uh, support out there um, that you can look into and find. Um, and it, it does take a little work to find that right fit for you.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's so many different, um, in the peer support training that I do, we call them like pathways to recovery. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's many different pathways, you know, for some people, it's certain medications or a certain type of doctor. And for other people, um, it might just be like a, a weekly support group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's so individualized. And that's certainly been my experience as well. You know, I've tried things on and off. Um, Some things stick, some things don't. Um, Sometimes what works one year doesn't work the next year. Mm -hmm. So I've had to switch it up. Um, You know, just taking on this new role and and kind of putting Mm -hmm. myself back in a position where I can potentially be re-triggered by certain things that are similar. Mm -hmm. I've had to add to my toolbox with some different coping skills. And so that's why I got into the tapping, uh, mm-hmm. recently. And that's been, uh, just kind of an additional thing that I've experimented with, but do I think I'll do it, um, you know, forever? No, probably mm-hmm. for a couple of months and then I might slack off and then okay. you know, maybe something comes up and kind of gets close to triggering me and I might go back to doing it again. I, I very much keep switching out. What I utilize, um mm-hmm. the one constant for me, though, has been the counseling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've transitioned out twice, mm-hmm. uh, but then I've went back usually within a year, mm-hmm. um, just because you know, different things are happening. Life happens, changes happen, mm-hmm. and I try to be as proactive about it as I can. And so mm-hmm. when I feel like things are starting to maybe slide in the wrong direction, I go ahead and, and get back into those appointments and start doing them weekly. And then I transitioned to bi-weekly and finally monthly for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's a game where it's constantly just reevaluating, being very self-aware and figuring out what works for you.
0: And it's very fluid, right? Like, like you said, one thing works for you for a little while, then you stop. And then you realize, ah, that was helping me. I'm going to go back and do that again. And it's not, um, I like to think of it like we, we, when we talk about like fitness in the new year, we're like, I'm going to go to the gym yeah. six days a week. And if I only go five, then I'm a failure. And I think we can easily get into that mindset. Mm-hmm. And I think we just need to be more fluid and more graceful with anything that we're trying to implement as a, a tool in our lives, whether it's for uh, mental health or, Uh, fitness or any type of thing we're trying to create a consistency with, we got to give ourselves a lot more grace and realize if I'm doing it one more day than I was the week before, that is a win.
1: Exactly. Yep. Because we can only do so much, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. Exactly. And yes, you just have to be better today than you were yesterday and, and living like in the present and not focusing so much on, certainly not the past, um, being aware of how the past affected, um, things, you know, and that self-awareness is huge for me. Anniversary dates. I have to be super aware of them. Um, Mm -hmm. I have an anniversary date of that fire I was talking about is actually next week. So I, I plan those out and kind of have them on my phone as, you know, Hey, this is coming up, kind of be watching yourself a little more closely. Maybe don't plan anything really stressful or high key on those days if you can help it. Um, but then, you know, always shifting between um, what I need to do on different days, depending on the amount of time that I have.
0: Yeah, totally. I think that's 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 just another little tool that we could all add to our tool belt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is to be really aware of our own triggers and any preventative measures we can help us get through those moments, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah. And I talk about them now very, you know, candidly and everything, but I'll say in when I was like in the thick of it, um, you know, in those last years when I was still trying to hang on to dispatching, I wasn't able to look at it this clearly. You know, mm-hmm. people would ask me then, you know, what do you need or what would help? And and I was just like, I don't know. I, I mm-hmm. had no idea. Mm-hmm. It took me several years, you know, almost 10 years, really, um, because I was later getting into counseling and having a lot of those reflective sessions. Um mm-hmm. uh, with the counselor to figure some of this stuff out, but it, it took a lot of time for me to be as reflective as I am now. It certainly didn't happen overnight.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for coming out and sharing your journey and all this wonderful information. Um, my, my final question to you is the one I pose to everybody is what advice would you give someone considering a career in dispatch?
1: Oh, gosh, that is definitely a loaded question. <laughs> I, I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer here, but I I definitely would tell them to go experience it like if there's a possibility for them to go sit in a center for maybe four hours mm-hmm. or so to see part of what a shift looks like and have a better understanding of what they're walking into Um, instead of, you know, thinking that it's going to be this job where they're going to change the world and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and think they're going to be like a superhero. um, I I think they need to see a more realistic point of view and, and some of the negative stuff that comes with it. And they may not see it in four hours, but at least putting them in that position where they get to talk to people that are doing it and actually see it in action for a couple of hours I think is is helpful for that awareness piece of what could actually happen.
0: So true. I think sit-alongs are invaluable. Like go there, sit at the center a couple times if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, it does really give you a feel of if this is something you're going to want to spend 10, 12, 14 hours you know, of your day doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're going to ultimately be there more than you're going to be home, it seems like with the 12-hour yeah. shifts. Yeah. So you want to make sure that it's um, something that you can see yourself doing that it's also a, a team at whatever center you're considering joining that you're going to jive with um, you know, just mm-hmm. having those conversations to know that it's going to feel like a good fit for you. And that it's not going to be something that like two weeks in, you're going to be like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah.
0: yeah, No, totally. So great advice. Uh, Wendy, again, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey with me talking about peer support and, you know, mental health is so, so, so needed in this line of work. And I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. And I feel like we just barely like touched on it, too, because mm-hmm. there's so much more that I could share. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to come back and, and do a second segment. Um, you heard I'm it here, guys. Gonna her I'm going to hold her to it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll be right back with you, OK? All
0: right all right everybody that was another episode here at let's talk dispatch again thank you wendy um and like Wendy said we barely scratched the surface um we need to continue having these conversations um being be willing to be vulnerable um and realize that mental health and wellness um self-care these are all really relative topics in our line of work that we really need to take time um for each other and ourselves, because it's specific to each of us. What works for Wendy might not work for me. Um, So really get out there and find that thing that really helps you um, and really adds to your tool belt. Um, Until next time, everybody, stay raspy. Thanks for joining us here on Let's Talk Dispatch. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star review. Consider joining our Patreon for exclusive content early access to episodes and discounts on merch at the follow us on instagram and facebook and subscribe to our youtube channel all of these things help support the creation of more content because the world needs more dispatchers thank you all again for the love and continued support and until next
1: time stay raspy